Evernorth Health Services, we believe costs shouldn't get in the way of life-changing care. And we're doing everything in our power to make it possible. Behavioral health solutions that also keep your projections at their best? It's possible. Pharmacy benefits that benefit your bottom line? It's possible. Complex specialty care that cares about your ROI? It's possible. Because we're already doing it. All while saving businesses billions. That's wonder made possible. Learn more at evernorth.com slash wonder. Welcome in, everybody, to the latest edition of Crossed Up. Yes, we're talking baseball, even though it's not back yet, although it will be back in Korea <laughs> in about 10 days. I'm Anthony Sanfilippo, at Philly on Twitter, joined, as always, by our Phillies beat writer, Bob Wankel. How you doing, Bob? I'm okay. Good to talk to you. It's uh, baseball talk without a baseball season, and uh, <laughs> it's going to be... It's going to be a while, even even optimistically, before we have yeah. baseball. And um, so we, we did do something a little bit different with this uh, episode. I had an opportunity to talk to Matt Breen, uh, Philly's beat writer for the Philadelphia Inquirer. And uh, we're recording this on Thursday afternoon. Matt and I spoke earlier uh, on Thursday, and we have a 35-40 minute interview uh, that I conducted with Matt, talking his impressions of, of what the baseball season might look like, how the corona, uh, coronavirus pandemic has altered the media landscape, um, both both for him specifically and, and just really the business as a whole, and then some impressions about what the Phillies may look like and what a baseball season may look like if uh, you know we get to a point where things can resume uh, in somewhat normal fashion. So that will be a big chunk of our show. We'll get to that interview in, in just a couple minutes. But, you know, Anthony, you know, here we are, and we should be about uh, two weeks into this season now, and how how you doing without sports, man? Like I'm struggling. Are, are you a big like replay guy? Are you are you looking at ESPN and watching the Cal Ripken and the Kerry Wood twenty strikeout games? Like, or are you just completely bored and and beside yourself at this point? No, you know I don't mind uh, some some replays. Like I just don't like seeing the same ones over and over and over again. Um, I kind of like the, the notion of just picking, and, and it's it's funny. I think it was Matt that actually put something in the Inquirer. Yeah, we we ta- we talked about this story too. Yeah, um, did we do it on here or did we do it on the? Uh, oh, you and Matt talked about. Yeah, it. Yeah, you know, yeah, Matt, yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah, we both talked about it. Great okay. story. Yeah. So, um, yeah. So there's a he did a story where there's a guy who used to who used to be an intern way back in the '90s for Channel 17 who found these VHS, well, these weren't even VHS tapes. They were old tapes that he converted to VHS that were just going out into the trash of all of these old Phillies games. Um, even stuff back to, like, the 1980 parade and the World Series and the playoffs. But it, it was a ton of just, like, regular season innocuous games, right? So, like, to me, and now he created a whole new YouTube page. He's got a bunch of more, you know, other games that people have sent him over the years. And his page, which is um, uh, Classic Phillies TV on YouTube, has just hundreds of, of random games. Like, I wouldn't mind going in there, and I'll be honest, I did it a little bit, of just picking a random game from a random year. And just popping it on, just for nostalgia, not of watching, you know, because you don't even know what happened. I mean, of course, I could look it up and see what the result of the game was. But just kind of, 
you know, remembering the broadcast, you know, the, the funny commercials that were out 20, 25 years ago. Um, and seeing how, you know, it was funny. I was watching a game between the Phillies and the Astros from the 90s, and they were talking about Doug Drabeck's strikeouts per nine being at 6.2 and that being high. <laughs> <laughs> you know, like. Yeah, it was a different game. Uh, yeah. It's so that's, that's kind of cool. So that I don't mind doing. But, yeah, I can't sit there and watch all the classic games that I've seen over and over and over again and know, know the outcome. Yeah, we talked a little bit about it, and we were saying, you know, in addition to watching the baseball, and you'll hear this in a minute, in addition to watching the baseball, it was kind of cool just to see the the Bell Atlantic Yellow Pages commercials and James yep. L. Jones and Today's Man and like the companies that don't exist anymore. Right. And it just the whole thing is kind of cool. It's definitely a trip down memory lane. So uh, I have occupied some of my time taking in those games. And you talked about Doug Drayback and K per nine. There was a game that I was watching. It was an early April game uh, between the Phillies. Well, actually, I, I guess it was late April. It was Phillies Dodgers ninety three. It's a Sunday game at the vet and Darren Dalton breaks up a double play it's like a short chopper by Pete Incavilia and there's no shot for a double play here but like they they do a flip and the second base becomes the uh, comes to the bag it's uh, I believe Jody Reed it was and Darren Dalton just comes in and blows him up and I mean there if a player did that in today's game to the yeah. extent Dalton did I mean he came through the bag and he came hard through the bag there there would be like, I couldn't imagine how Buster Posey w- would react to that type of play. Well, you know, you know like Buster Posey's the reason why we've had the wussification of baseball. <laughs> and, 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 and I don't blame him individually, but, I mean, what happened to him, you know, and it was because he was a star player at the peak of his career and got blown up and had to miss all that time with that injury. And it's like, well, we can't have this happening to our star players, so we have to prevent this from happening. Cancel. It was the beginning of cancel culture. And yeah. we, we canceled. We canceled hard baseballs. We canceled. But yeah, you're right, dude. That stuff was awesome back then. I, I loved it. Yeah. So what we'll do now is uh, let's get into the interview uh, with myself and and Matt Breen uh, from the Inquirer. We'll play that through, and then then what we'll do is we'll kind of come back and uh, we'll run through some of what Matt had to say and what we talked about and. Anthony, I want to get some of your impressions, too, because I know, uh, having discussed it with you a little bit, I, I know you have a couple different opinions uh, about some mm-hmm. of the topics and, and, and kind of a dissenting opinion about a couple of the things that we speak about as well. So let's listen to this interview, and then we will circle back uh, afterward. All right, what's up, everybody? This is Bob Wankel, and we have a fresh episode of Crossed Up for you. We do not have Phillies baseball. We don't know if and when we are going to have Phillies baseball this season. But we're uh, plugging forward here, and we have a, a special guest with us today, Matt Breen of the Philadelphia Inquirer, who does a great job uh, covering the Phillies for the Inquirer. You can check him out at Inquirer.com. Obviously, you can also buy the paper as well and read his stuff over there. And I, I got to say, before we bring Matt in here, uh, when I first started going down to the stadium last year to cover games, Matt was more really one of the first guys that, that kind of... Uh, I got a chance to meet, and uh, just a great guy, super helpful to me personally, and uh, doing us a big favor by jumping on here today. So I uh, just want to thank him for that. And uh, what's going on, Matt? How you doing, man? I'm good, Bob. I think, uh, you know, all of us, when we first cover any beat, you know, especially the Phillies, I think you're, you're, you don't know anybody. And I was grateful that people reached out to me when I was new. And, you know, I try to do that now with if I see a new guy come along. And, you know, I'm sure you'll be doing that to the next new guy. 
Yeah, I, I said uh, I think I used it at the time when I was first down there. I kind of felt like Steven Glansberg sitting in the cafeteria <laughs> eating by myself. Like didn't want to <laughs> didn't want to step on anyone's toes and just show up. So it was cool. I I really did appreciate that. So. No. Um, so uh, first, I guess, before we get into any baseball stuff, uh, how are you? I mean, this has been um, obviously a crazy time. I think that it's certainly unprecedented. I, I, how are you holding up, you know, mentally, physically, and, and all that stuff? I'm good. I mean, honestly, there's been a, a lot to do. I think it's every week you're wondering what you're going to write about, and then you, you check back on Friday and you look at the website and you're like, you know, wow, you know, we, we did seven articles. This, I, you know, I wrote seven articles or we did we did this much content between the three of us to cover the team. And it's been, it was stressful in the beginning, but now I feel like we've kind of gotten a routine of how to do it. And, and the thing that you have to think about is that it's not just baseball or journalism or, you know, it's, it's the world. The world is being affected by this. So we're not the only people that are stressed out about how to do our jobs in, in this climate. It's, it's, you know, we're all in this together and that, that makes it a little more comforting for me. Yeah. It's, um, kind of, it's been a weird situation. Some people that listen to the show know that, uh, I'm in education. I also coach a high school team and it's, it's been a, a quite a shift. Obviously, a couple minutes ago, I'm over in Jersey, but Pennsylvania just uh, shut down schools, uh, at least the, the physical locations, through the remainder of the school year. And uh, it's, it's tough. I mean, students are adapting how to learn online. Teachers are adapting how to teach online. You see these students, they're missing out on, on so many opportunities and, and landmark occasions like proms and awards banquets, spring sports altogether. Uh, I have a group of seniors that were great kids and, and they're, they may not get a chance to, to take the field as a senior. And it's, it's, it's a shame to see it, but you said it, you know, everyone's going through this and there's the health considerations, there's the safety considerations. And then there's just the, a matter of just feeling bad about some of the things that people are missing out on right now too. Yeah. You feel uh, especially bad for like high school seniors. I think back of senior year of high school, being in school at this time of year was awesome because you knew, you knew graduation was coming up, but the weekends were great. And a lot of the memories from high school was like that last three months of high school that these kids are going to lose. And then I was thinking last night about seniors in college that had internships lined up or jobs lined up. And now those jobs are probably not going to be there. Those internships are not going to be there for these kids that are graduating with degrees. Now you're entering the workforce and those aren't there. So that's, that's who I'm, you know, there's, in effect, it really does affect everybody. And every day you can think of something new that it's like, you know, you didn't realize yesterday that who's, who's it really affecting. Yeah. My college graduating class went through that. Actually, I graduated from Monmouth uh, in the spring of 2008 when everything was hitting the fan. And uh, I was, I was fairly fortunate to, to, get a job out of college, but a lot of people that I graduated with uh, went through a hell of a time trying to land stable jobs, and I, you know, certainly I think that we're headed for that again, unfortunately. Um, you talked a little bit about how you get to the end of the week, and you look back, and you say, okay, I, I got seven articles up. Um, how has this really impacted the way that uh, your paper specifically, and, and the way that you've gone about your job? We don't have baseball. We're not going to have baseball, at least for the foreseeable future. What was the process of kind of saying, like, okay, how are we going to produce content uh, during this? Yeah, so we still have a newspaper seven days a week, and we still have a website that's constantly running. So once this happened, I was still in Clearwater, and I, I realized, all right, there's not going to be games for the foreseeable future, but there's still going to be this publication that we have to 
supplied. You know, there's still a job to be done. And at first I just was like, what the heck am I going to write about? Because it's this job almost takes care of it. It tells you what to write about every day. There's a game that starts at seven o'clock. There's a team. You follow the, the rhythm of the team and you write about what you're seeing. It, you know, you, you get used to that and you get used to the routine and now there, there's no game. So, and there's, and it's hard, you can't even really write about the team because there's no clear if there's even going to be a season. So you feel silly breaking down the, the bullpen or the fifth starter. So you had to think outside the box that first day I was stressed out. And I remember I flew home the next two mornings later and I was on the flight with one of our photographers and he's like, don't worry about it. You'll, you know, you'll take care of it. You'll figure it out. And by that Tuesday, we had a plan in place of how we were going to cover it, different things we could do. Um, we, we changed our podcast. We, we did a, we do a podcast every week that we just talk about the Phillies, but can't talk about the Phillies anymore. Cause what are you going to talk about? So we, now we start doing old games and we just, we watch a game and then we talk about it. Yeah, so you guys um, did something on uh, the 1980, uh, in 1980, correct? You, you yeah, we did one of those games, the yeah. 80, and this morning we just did the uh, Matt Stairs game. And okay, cool. It's just something different. Like, I think you just, this is testing all of us to to be different, to try to, you know, tap into a little bit different creative side of your brain that you might not have to use normally because the job really, it, it's so different right now. You know, it takes care of itself normally. And we have we have series that we're going to start this weekend of, of different things that that we're doing and and because the news is eventually you would think is going to run out of you know not every day you're going to have Bryce Harper making a five hundred thousand dollar donation right. or, or the Phillies saying the ballparks closed to the offices so like you can't rely on that stuff you can't rely on just like coronavirus news getting you through it's really got to be you know different things analysis features. And stuff like that. And so far, we've been able to put our heads together and come up with a plan. Yeah, the one story that uh, jumped out at me, it's funny because, you know, we're, we're in this quarantine life and you start to run out of things to do and you're looking for new things. And so I had stumbled across that, that Philly's YouTube page. Um, like maybe two days before your your article came out about it, I was watching some old clips and I was, I was recording them and putting them up on Twitter. And, I mean the story that you wrote was fantastic. I, I'm just kind of curious, how did that, that story come about? And, and for those that didn't read it, I, I strongly suggest that you do. Uh, I believe, I guess it was an old PHL 17 intern uh, stumbled upon some tapes that were going to be discarded and, and uploaded a ton of old Phillies games uh, to, to YouTube. And you can go back and watch these games with commercials. And actually, to me, <laughs> watching the commercials and like the Bell Atlantic and James Earl Jones and all that stuff, <laughs> that, that was almost just as interesting as the games themselves. But uh, can you talk a little bit about how that that article sort of popped up? Yeah, that that was I was still in Florida when I thought of that. It was like the first night of the season being canceled. And I was on Twitter and people were, I think, tweeting about old games. And I'd seen that YouTube channel a lot just because I love digging into like Philly's history and looking at old stuff. So I'd seen his channel, but I never had time to really dig into it. And I was looking around and I'm thinking, well, there's not going to be live sports because it's not just baseball that shut down. It's every single sport was was shut down. So every single sport is entering an off season at the same time. So I'm like, a lot of people are going to watch old games and they're going to fill the void with old games. And here's this guy. This is this is the, the place to go. If you want old Phillies games, it's Mike Rogers' YouTube channel. So I, I did a little research real quick to find out who he was and how to get in contact with him. 
I sent him a message on Twitter to follow me. He follows me. We DM'd. And then on Monday, Tuesday, Monday or Tuesday morning of the first week of, of the uh, shutdown, I was back home and I talked to him. And, and then that story came out of it. So it was just a thought I had, you know, one of those first nights of the season being canceled of getting in touch with this guy. And then it, it's like a public service to, to, you know, it's not just a feature on some random guy. It's a good story on this guy, but here's, if you need time to kill and you want to watch stuff, this is the place to go. Go to this guy's YouTube channel. And it was funny. A lot of readers emailing me like, wow, thanks a lot. I, I didn't, this guy's channel is great. I haven't seen 1980 at uh, the NLE's clincher against the Expo since that night or any chance he has Rick Wise's no hitter and stuff like that. So it's always, you know, you, you write these articles because, you know, you like telling stories, but when you can tell a story that, you know, help people and it gave them something to do. I think that's always, you know, the best part of the job. Yeah. And like I said, you, you can go back and you can, and I, I would advise people, Phillies fans specifically to, to look at the YouTube channel. I mean, some of the games on there and they're not even all classics. I mean, they just have these like completely <laughs> nondescript, like April 25th, 1993. It's like a day game and Tommy Green making his fourth start of the season. It's, it's really cool to see and, and definitely check out uh, Matt's story as well. Um, yeah, he said that uh, some guy in Jersey just taped like almost every game in the 93 season. And now his wife is like, you got to get rid of these games. You know, our garage is being stuck up with VHS. So he found Mike on YouTube and sent Michael. He sends him like 15 tapes a week. So he's just slowly putting up every single game in the 93 season. And that's the thing. It's like, you remember people used to tape, tape things. Oh, yeah. You know, you know now you DVR it, but. But I don't know if anybody DVRs the entire Philly season anymore. It's just so it's just not the way we live. Yeah, and like how did how did he even know? Like, did, I wonder if he had a, a sense like this was going to be a special season. This guy, like, you're recording games <laughs> on April April 10th. You know, it's not like you got to September and you knew that they were about to clinch. Uh, yeah, it, no, he was in, and it's just it's funny when you look back. The commercials are great. Like James Earl Jones, that was the one that stuck me too because I forgot, and then you remember like. He did that Bell Atlantic commercial forever. Like, yeah. How do they get James Earl Jones? It, it was that, and uh, yeah, that was a pretty big pull for them at the time. Yeah. And I can't believe that, that the Yellow Pages <laughs> spent that much money advertising. There's a, uh, I think Ed O'Neill, like Married with Children, did some some PHL 17 yeah. promos. A lot of today's man commercials. Really yeah. crazy stuff. Um, so I guess moving forward, just to, to kind of talk about what what we have to look forward to or how this thing's going to unfold. I guess before we get into what the season may or may not look like, you know, when you were down there, I guess I, I always sensed that this was going to be a problem. I thought that it could be disruptive to the season. I guess I was sort of caught off guard by how quickly everything occurred. It, it seemed like there was optimism that it would be reasonable. And then all of a sudden, everything just kind of hit the fan. And, you know, were people down there in late February talking about, hey, you know, this this could be a real problem? Or did it, did it sort of seem to just grab everybody out of nowhere? You know, there was so much focus on who's going to be the fifth starter and, and what's the bullpen going to look like. And then, boom, it's like, you know, hey, we're not going to see you for a couple months here. Yeah, it seemed like there was um the, sun, the Sunday morning and there was a – MLB put out a mandate that the players weren't supposed to sign autographs anymore. And and that's when it started picking up some momentum that, that about the coronavirus. And, but you still didn't really know what it was. Like, it was like, all right, you just got to be careful. Mm -hmm. You know, no one knew you were going to be locked inside your house for weeks. So 
that was one day. And then, then it comes out that they shut out, they closed the locker rooms. And, okay, well, I mean, they're still going to play games, right? Like, you know, this isn't going to be the end of the season. So you just imagine maybe you'd cover the entire season and not have access to the clubhouse, or maybe they would open it up in the middle of the season once this was taken care of. But you, you still – at least I didn't I didn't know how serious of a thing this was. I don't think a lot of the Phillies did. I remember Bryce Harper saying that he still lives his life normal. I yeah. think he was uh, – and, and it's easy to make fun of him now, but I think we were all ignorant. At least, you know, I can speak for myself that when he made that statement, I wasn't like, wow, that's such a ignorant statement. I can't believe he said that. It was like, yeah, I mean, I, I went that night to the supermarket in Clearwater and just wasn't, you know, scared for my life. And then it, that night or the next night was when Rudy Gobert tested positive and the NBA got canceled. And then you knew it was like, all right, now it's done. And we went the next morning to Port Charlotte and we were thinking about before we left, we carpooled together a couple of writers. And I was like, this is, they're not going to play today. They're going to cancel the spring training. Season's going to be delayed. There's no way they can play. And then the Phillies were asking us in the dugout when we got there, they're like, what's going on? You guys know? And I was like, I don't know. And, um, they, so they, they were thinking they weren't going to play. And then they, they played during the game. It came down that it got canceled, but it really, it happened so fast. It, it came up on Sunday. That Sunday is when the autograph thing happened. And by the end of the week, the season was canceled. I mean, the season was delayed and spring training was canceled. I didn't see it coming. It wasn't a point of conversation. Really. We talked on the way to, Port Charlotte. This is this is how much it was not a point of conversation. We talked to Matt Klintak on the on a conference call about Sir Anthony Dominguez having a setback and what the bullpen looked like without Dominguez. So we thought maybe the season might be delayed, but there was still going to be a season, and the Phillies were going to need to replace Sir Anthony Dominguez. We didn't think we'd be here in April with no idea of, of when opening day would be. So and there's so many different directions that we could we could take this, and I don't want to take up your, your too much of your time here, but um, I, I guess there, there are a few things I feel like we I have to hit on be, before we we move on, and I guess my question is this: There's no way that any of us can really know what things will look like if and when you know when sports return. Do you think that these recent events are, are going to fundamentally alter the way that reporters or the media covers covers teams uh, moving forward? I, and I guess really when we return to normalcy, whatever that may look like. I mean, do you do you foresee any procedural changes to, to locker room access the way that that the way that we go about? And, and I say we, but more specifically you guys, because you're grinding down there, you know, every single day. Do you do you think that there's going to be a change in the landscape between how, how reporters and, and teams function? The the locker room access is interesting, and I think that's going to be determined by what the world looks like. Like like when the when the season resume, if the season resumes in Arizona next month, and there wouldn't be locker room access. It just you couldn't you know just, in my opinion, just based on on other things. But say everything is. Well, let's fast forward the next opening day and coronavirus. There's a cure for coronavirus just for conversations. And But what does the world look like? Do, is it is everything back to the way it was three months ago or is the world still in a weird state and maybe the clubhouses are closed? I don't know. I, I think I, I would think that 
you know, the, everything would go back to normal and we would be in the clubhouses doing our job the way we were doing it last April. Um, we're still going to cover the team. We're still going to travel. And I think there's still a need for that to, to be at every game and, and to do the job the same way. But there might be maybe, you know, might be some differences of, of how you talk to players. You know, I, I don't know if there's going to be maybe the, how they do it in soccer where they um, in a mix zone and you kind of have to grab guys as they walk out of the clubhouse or into the clubhouse. It could be something like that. Right. But I would hope that it would go back to normal just because I think it's the easiest way to do the job and it's it's probably the best way to do the job as well. All right, so um, I'm going to put you in the in the business of making some prognostications here. Uh, you know, obviously, Major League Baseball comes out this week, and they're flirting with this idea of a a condensed season played in Arizona. Um, there's been mixed reviews uh, in terms of of what that might look like and and feasibility of it actually being pulled off. I guess let me get your opinion on on that format, and do you think? A, it's a good idea, and B, can it be pulled off? And it just seems like in recent days that that's lost some steam, I guess. But, I mean, what are your overall impressions about uh, this this potential format? Yeah, I just I, I think it's like a, a good idea because it, if you don't really dig into it, it kind of makes sense. You have all these stadiums, and you could have them just play in these ballparks and kind of control it. But So you're, the Phillies are going to play – in, our, in Scottsdale today, say, and the game starts at 12 o'clock, they have to stay in their hotel, they go to the ballpark, then they go back to their hotel, and they can't leave their hotel, and they do it again tomorrow and the next day, and they can't do anything besides be in their hotel or be at the ballpark. I just think that just seems impractical. I, I don't see how you could do that. And then there's other things, like Zach Wheeler is going to have a baby this summer. Mike Trout's going to have a baby this summer. What do those guys do today? Do they say, all right, well, I'm going to miss the birth of my child because I have to be in this quarantined ecosystem to play baseball? Or do they leave and go to, to wherever the birth of their child is? And then they have to be quarantined for two weeks before they can rejoin their teams. And then what happens if a guy gets hurt and he has to go do a rehab? Is there, is there, do you leave to go play in a rehab game somewhere and then do you come back? And it's just, there's so much that goes into it. And then they're the only, it's not like the only people at the game are, are just the, uh, the teams. There's the teams, there's the umpires, there's the coaches on the team, there's the clubhouse attendants on the team, there's the grounds crew. So are all these people for 30 teams going to be staged in hotels that have to be quarantined? And then, and then do the hotels have any other guests or do they just have baseball players? It's just... Yeah, and you also wonder... If if somebody does get infected, what are the repercussions of that? Um, yeah, you know, and I, I just as much as I want to see baseball come back, as much as everybody wants to see baseball come back, you know, I first read the story and I said, okay, like this this is weird, but I, I could be into this. It, it sounds good, but then you start to think through some of the things that you're talking about. You mentioned Zach Wheeler, I believe he came out in the last day or two and, and kind of had spoken about that, saying like, yeah, I don't, I don't know if I'd be down for that, um, more or less. I just. I guess about three weeks ago, I, I figured maybe we would be on a June-July timeline. And, and my assumption all along is that they would probably resume without fans. I, I think that the way that this is trending, if we get baseball in 2020, it's, it's going to probably be in empty stadiums. 
Um, and, and things can change. You know, it, obviously we've seen some positive projections, uh, you know, being changed here in recent days. And you don't know exactly what two, three months down the line is going to look like at this point. But I, I kind of was like of the thought, hey, maybe we'll get a condensed 80-game season. Maybe it'll start around July 1st. But now as we're starting to kind of creep closer and closer here, it, it's starting to seem almost more and more unrealistic. And I, I, I hope I'm wrong. I, re, I really do hope I'm wrong. But I, I would prefer to see the games played in, in cities across America. I, I, I don't love the idea of, of the isolated spot in Arizona. But I just don't know. And, and you know, to be perfectly honest with you, I, the more I look at this, the more and more skeptical I'm, I'm becoming about seeing baseball this season. And I don't know if you saw it or not, but Sports Illustrated yesterday, and we're recording this on, on Thursday afternoon, Sports Illustrated basically ran a story that, that cited a bunch of different college athletic directors across the country and Power 5 programs saying, like, we have real concerns that the college football season – could be canceled or drastically altered. And so when you look at that, and obviously colleges are dealing with a little bit more, you have over 100 kids in a program, it's really much harder to, to lock them down as you might a baseball team. But when I hear college ADs with millions of dollars at stake saying, we don't know if it's going to be feasible to play in, in September, I start to wonder about how how optimistic we really can be about playing a baseball season starting in June or July. Yeah, I'm right with you. I, if I had to make a bet, I would bet that there won't be baseball this season. But I just, I don't see how it can come back. And, and the idea for me, it was like, we're, we haven't even reached the peak of this thing yet. And, and we're talking about baseball coming back next month. It just seemed a little too soon. Like, can we let coronavirus play out? Can we get more information before we're yeah we're rushing into a baseball biodome? Like <laughs> you know, like calm down. Like there's more important things in the world than baseball. Like there just is. There, you know, the health of the the world is is the conversation right now. I don't think we need to you know do whatever it takes to make a baseball season possible. Yeah, and obviously it would be good for the psyche of America, and, and, and those things have been said a million times over, and I agree with all of that. I think in a perfect world, if you could pull it off and, and people were going to be safe, it would be a, a nice jolt for you know the not only the recreational standpoint, but just you know you turn your eyes and say, hey, we have some, some normalcy in our lives again, but it, it, it just, to me, I, I'm in full agreement with you, it just it feels sort of rushed right now to be talking about what this could look like. And, and these leagues, certainly, they have to do this. This is their livelihood. It's what they get paid to do. They, they need to have these discussions. But I just, I'm with you. If I had to, to bet, and uh, I'm a little bit of a betting guy occasionally, I guess. Um, <laughs> <laughs> um, if I had to make a bet, I, I, I don't think we're going to see baseball this season. But, again, I've been wrong many, many times before, and I, I hope I'm very wrong about this uh, so long as it's done in a reasonable and safe fashion. Um, the other thing is the, the teams make so much money on gate revenue and ticket and uh, merchandise and concessions and parking and all, all the stuff that comes with bringing fans to the stadium. I mean, I know they make a ton of money on TV rights too, but a lot of that money in baseball, especially with other teams that don't have the TV deals that the Phillies have, that's, that's how they pay their salaries with the gate revenue. And I, I don't know how you would afford to do that without and with an empty stadium. So there, that would be another hurdle that you would have to knock out a deal with the 
Player Association. Uh, I would imagine they would ask for some type of reduction in salary. Yeah, Um, so that's another hurdle to cross is is doing that. So it's not like a slam dunk that this could happen. uh, Before I let you go, I I do want to just talk a a little bit about what the 2020 Phillies looked like, what they were going to look like. Uh, I know that we have some listeners that probably would like to get your perspective on that. Um, You know, read a lot about in February and early March, how it was a different vibe down there with Joe Girardi, uh, you know, from Gabe Kapler. What did you, did, did you have any like grand observations or just like more high level thoughts about what this team, how this team was going to be different, how the approach between Girardi and Kapler was different? And, and was that going to have a positive impact in your estimation? I think it was. And that's the part that is disappointing about this, not that, we can't watch the Phillies right now because I think we, we had so many questions about what this team was. And, and then right now would be able to kind of sort through that. And some, a Phillies player pulled me aside in spring training early and said, just was talking about the differences between Gabe, Gabe's clubhouse and Girardi's clubhouse. And this was early in camp and the professionalism, he said, it's just an air of professionalism with Girardi. And from my Five weeks in Clearwater, I took the same thing. That you, he's like this guy said. You know, when when Joe walks in the clubhouse, he's a manager. You know who he is. And I thought the same thing. That this is Joe Girardi. Kind of had that air of a baseball manager when he walked in there. He commanded respect. He's got a World Series ring. You know, it's a great had a great career in New York. I think he brought a lot of that in with him. And then his staff. He had a, a pitching coach, Brian Price, who has has a ton of experience in the game, uh, has a good track record, was was hitting it off with, with the pitchers in Clearwater. And uh, Joe Dillon is one of those on the cusp of being a, you know, a sharp hitting mind of a guy that brings a different outlook to the hitting approach and different techniques and stuff like that. And so he was connecting well. So there was the coaching staff, but then also the, the roster what was Didi Gregorius going to bring? How much would he strengthen out? The, I mean, uh, stretch out this lineup. What would Zach Wheeler look like at the top of the rotation? Uh, you know, when's the last time you saw a Philly starter pump 99 miles an hour, 96, 97? That was the, what you were going to be able to see with Zach Wheeler. And what kind of difference would that make? And then the back of the rotation, every year we're talking about uh, Nick Pavetta and Zach Eflin and Vince Velasquez. And, and, you know, is this the year they take the next step? So, We'd be able to find that out. And then you got a taste of Alec Boehm and Spencer Howard, and you you could tell in spring training these guys weren't that far away. They're going to be up here sometime in 2020. Maybe that's what we'd be talking about today is they need to call up Spencer Howard, you know, in a couple weeks to be the fifth starter. And they were a fourth-place team last year. I think it was fair to come in the camp saying that they were a fourth-place team. But also it was fair to be optimistic and say – they could contend for a division title if a lot of things go the right way. And, and that's what I was really just looking forward to seeing what those, you know, how those ifs were trending. And, and that's, that's the part that really stinks about this whole thing being shut down is that you can't really see that. What I was curious to see, because I believe it, I believe that, that Joe Girardi brings a sense of professionalism. And I, I'm not surprised to hear a player and probably multiple, multiple players say, you know, it is different. There is a, a different level of respect here. 
I, part of me does wonder, though, how much of that is sort of revisionist history. Like, I know that guys talked last year that, that there was a little bit of a lack of accountability, and I know that this wasn't just like, hey, now the game's gone, we can say how we really feel. Like, I think that a lot of these thoughts and, and a lot of these feelings existed in 2018 and 2019, but, like, I do wonder how convenient it is after the fact to say, like, hey, we underachieved last year, or we didn't meet our expectations Let's let's push it to the manager. Like the way that the way that the, that team was covered last year, like I almost wonder. Like I think it's like a cross between two different ideas. Like sometimes I almost feel like I was seduced by Gabe Kapler. Like, <laughs> like I look at it like as a guy that that coaches baseball. Like I'd be the first to tell you. Like I coached a team last year that was very successful. Like we we had a twenty win season at the high school level. We had never had a year in, in the last thirty years that even came close to that. And it's because I had really good players, and I had guys that were self-accountable, they did the right things, and they were talented. And, you know, did I have a part in that? I'm, I'm sure to some extent I did, but I'd be the first to tell you it was primarily the players. So I guess, like, I come in with a little bit of bias, and so when I looked at the 2019 Phillies and I, I looked at Gabe Kapler, I said, yeah, like, is this a flawed manager? It, yeah, in my estimation, it, it he was, but... I looked at what that rotation was and what they were trotting out there three out of every five turns through the holes in the bullpen. And, and I know that they, they performed fairly well in, in August and September as, as Andy McPhail was quick to point out. But then I look at the holes in the lineup and I just say, this was a flawed baseball team. Like how much of this can we just put at the, at the feet of the manager? And I almost felt like maybe, and this is partly on me because I haven't been around that long. You know, this was my first experience seeing a, a team in person on a nightly basis. But there were parts of me that, that sort of felt for Gabe Kapler because it just seemed like every shortcoming of that team was put on him. And and I don't know. Am I am I wildly off base in saying that? No, I don't. I think, uh, like, you look back at opening day of 2018, that lineup, someone tweeted that, that the other day. And that was two years ago. And you're like, God, I forgot they even had some of these guys, let alone were they starting on opening day. And then, like you said, you go back to 19, and the guys that were pitching out of the bullpen in the second half, it was just, you know, how'd they even find some of these players? So he did not have a full deck both years. And I think a lot of that falls on the general manager. I think it was a roster that, that was not deep. And that that was, that was you can't blame everything on Gabe, that, that they finished 500 last season, but I think he takes the blame of the way that the bullpen was managed, some of the um, communications errors between the pitchers and, and himself. Yeah, the stuff in 2018, especially early yeah, on. Yeah, but was, even was stuff comical. last year, you know, it, never, it didn't really get better. And there is just, I think they just needed, you know, a, a Joe Girardi. You needed that name brand guy to come in here and, and that, that's if you have Bryce Harper and you're paying $330 million, then you need to pay for Joe Girardi to be the manager. And I think that's that's the difference. Is that and and I, I do agree with you. I mean, after the fact, when it was like, OK, you better if you're going to if you're going to move on from this guy. And, and I understood it at the end. Like I, I liked Gabe. I, I felt like he did get a little bit of a bad deal, but I understood the Phillies moving on from him. But that was always with the qualifier of you, you better find the right guy. Like there can't be another experiment or there can't be another, just a, a retread that doesn't really inspire any confidence. But when you go out and you see, Hey, Joe Girardi, you go, this, this is different. Like this, 
it's hard to argue that that this wasn't an upgrade and and I was on board with it almost instantly I just last year I I just there was like a fatigue for me. I'm like, yeah, I know Gabe Kapler, Gabe Kapler, Gabe Kapler. And it, I almost just felt myself pushing back against it at times. And you talked about what this season was going to look like and, and all these storylines that were going to be really fascinating to follow. And for me, this was such a make or break year for so many different players on this team. Like, you know, not that Scott Kingery would necessarily be going anywhere after 2020, but like it, I wanted to see Scott Kingery take that next step. I, I think he has that in him, you know, I yeah. expected him to, to do it this year. and But at, at the same time, it was like, hey, you're not going to bounce around six different positions. It's it's time to do it now. This is the third year you've been up here. Let's see it. You know, you talk about Zach Eflin, and I know that there was a lot of angst and I think a little animosity about how he was utilized last year at different points and, and the way that he was told to go about, uh, you know, attacking hitters. Okay, Zach, like, well, let's see it now. And the, the Nick Pavetta, Vince Velasquez situation, like, it's it's time to do it, you know? And that, to me, was the, the thing that I was really looking forward to seeing. I, I had some hope that they would be a, a, a competitor in the NL East and, and in the NL wildcard picture at the very least, but I, I was really curious to see how some of these younger players that have been around now for three, four years – we're, we're really going to go in one direction or the other after this season. And, and now we, we may not get that. And, and this team is loaded with questions. And I'm curious to see if, if we don't get baseball this season and those questions aren't answered on the field, how is this going to look going forward? And, and um, you know, that, that's, that's the shame of it. Yeah, and that's a great point you brought up about F1 and Scott Kingery. And it's like that was is Gabe Kapler to blame or – you were going to find out if that was just, you know, a storyline that Scott Kingery's bouncing around all these positions. That's why he's struggling at the plate or because you want to like, you know, and as a fan, I think we do this, right? Like you, you want to believe that it wasn't the player because you still have the player and you, you have hope in the player and you want the player to do well. So it's easy to kind of just say, well, it was the way that he was utilized. That's not to say that there's not truth in that. Like I wouldn't be surprised if there, it was completely true, you know, but But we, and that's what we would have been finding out right now. Uh, before I let you go, last question. Um, JT Romuto, Phillies cannot negotiate with him. Things have been kind of shut down on that front. Do you, um, I guess I'll ask, do you have any sense, you know, from, from what you've heard? Uh, is there going to be an issue trying to, to resign him moving forward? And I guess if, if you really don't have anything firm on that, then just what do you think? I'll, I'll ask you to make a, a guess on that. Do you, do you foresee I, I him think, with this team moving forward? I think they keep him and – the reason why is John Middleton. John Middleton loves JT Realmuto. Middleton wrestled in college at Amherst. Um, you know, the two things, obviously he's a businessman, but his personal life, he's a, he grew up as a diehard Phillies fan before his family took over the team, and he loved to wrestle, and he's obsessed with those two things. And JT Realmuto was a, comes from a wrestling royalty in Oklahoma. His uncle was a two-time Olympic gold medalist. He's a, one of the all-time American wrestlers. Uh, JT wrestled, probably could have been an Olympian wrestler if he didn't focus just on football and baseball when he went to high school. Um, his other uncle was a, re- was a big-time wrestler, the Smith family. It's like this, you know, if you know wrestling, you know the Smiths. And that has, Middleton, ever since JT's been around, has been, you know, almost obsessed with with that, with, with talking wrestling and, and the way that JT plays the game. It's I wrote a story last week that Bryce Harper's Bryce Harper calls JT Romuto his favorite player, but 
you know, if there's a second biggest Real Muto fan, it's John Middleton. And, and if you're a free agent and you, you need, you know, a contract offer from the Phillies, who, who do you want in your corner? You want Bryce Harper, the guy that's making $230 million, whose voice carries a lot of weight. And you also want the guy signing the checks. So I don't think the Phillies will let him, if say they can't negotiate a contract the rest of the year, he hits free agency. I don't think they let him walk because you would be turning, you would be really letting down Bryce Harper and John Middleton would be turn, you know, losing the guy that he wants to keep the most as well. Uh, that's good stuff. All right. Well, Matt, I appreciate it. It kept you a little bit longer than I said no I would, uh, but I, I really we do have appreciate nothing to do, you jumping Bob. on. Yeah. yeah, I'm sure you're not doing anything at all <laughs> over there. Yeah. So uh, thank you so much for jumping on. I, I truly appreciate it. Thanks a lot, Bob. Take care. You too. All right. So that was my conversation with Matt Breen. Again, thank you to him for jumping on with us. You know, Anthony, uh, there was a lot covered there. I really wanted to, to focus a little bit less about the 2020 Phillies just because there hasn't been so much happening with them in, in recent weeks. We touched on, obviously, JT Real Muto uh, at the end. Matt and I are kind of in agreement that they have to get something done with Real Muto. Uh, but really more so, I wanted to focus on how the coronavirus has impacted media and really his day-to-day job and what he's going through right now. And also wanted to talk a, a little bit about what he felt like the 2020 season may look like. And and him and I were both on the same page in that we liked the idea initially of, of going to Arizona and then playing this condensed, wacky type of season. Um, it would be great for the, the psyche of America. It would be compelling television for sure. But when you go through the logistics of what that could possibly look like, and, and Matt referenced uh, you know both Mike Trout, Zach Wheeler, guys like that having children uh, or expecting to have children in the next couple months, Really, is it feasible for for this type of thing to unfold? So let me ask you and get your opinion. What was your initial impression of the plan for Major League Baseball to possibly open a condensed format season sometime in May or June in Arizona? I was cool with it. Um, uh, I I didn't like the notion. I know there was some conversation about shortening the game to seven innings. For what reason i don't understand i mean is that manfred just trying to get his quicker game thing across when people are paying attention i don't know i think it would i think if nothing else that devalues your bullpen because now if you have a starting pitcher who goes five, five innings you, how many relievers do you really need to get through do, a do you think it just game? is a situation though where you say listen what's going on is unprecedented it has to be so the fact that we're even getting games in, it doesn't matter if they're seven innings, nine innings. So well, what if it's unconventional? If there was ever a year to just use trial and error, I, and, I, I, I'm okay. I, I'm okay with that, Bob. For most things, but what's the what's the benefit of this? Like, what are we trying to what are we trying to do? Well, it wasn't the idea. I mean, I and again. <laughs> I think that there was an idea of like, hey, maybe we can increase the amount of double headers played, and then this way it's a little less strain on the players. So now we're looking at 14 total innings as opposed to an 18 inning double header. I don't know. Again, like if, I you wanted, this, if you wanted to, maybe okay. Then you know what? I would compromise. I still don't like it, but I would compromise and say, on double header games you go seven innings, but the rest have to be nine. Okay. Right. Well, I, just, I mean, I, yeah, that, I mean, I think that's what they do in the minor leagues anyway, right? So I, I wake up the other day and I see the article by Jeff Passan from ESPN and I go, this is awesome. I said, let's do it. You know, yeah. it, it, it's we need this. Like America needs a distraction. And Matt and I talked about this and, and the safety and health of the greater good is is the priority here. So, but when we can proceed and it, it be reasonably safe, 
America could really use this. But the more that you start to go through the logistics of it, the more complicated it gets. And one of the things that Matt touched on was the idea of revenue. And you look at baseball and it draws a significant amount of its revenue, not just from local and uh, national TV rights, but from your gate receipts and your concessions and the amount that's generated at the ballpark every single night. You know, owners are going to be taking a huge hit in this situation. And, you know, what does that mean for player salary? Like there's just so many things that would have to get worked out. Not just with logistics, having team employees, you know, keeping people isolated, but then also how do you figure out the money and the financial aspect of so, this as well? Yeah, so let me look at it. Let me, break, let me take two points here. Um, first, let's, let's look at the financial end of things. It, to me, it's, it's pretty cut and dry. If you're, if you're not playing, you're not making any money. If you're playing and you're able to get games on TV, yeah, you might not be getting what you normally get, but you're getting more than zero. <laughs> but right? how palatable is that to a player to say, hey, listen, I'm basically going to seclude myself from my friends and family for the next, I don't know, let's say three months, in a three-month yeah. season. You know, there well, are human considerations at play here. You know, yes. it's not just as simple as you're a robot, go play baseball, and we'll, we'll see you when it's okay. Yeah, so there are two – There, this was my second point that I was going to break it down. So the, the second point is this. One of two things has to happen, I think, in order. I think logistically, in order to make it work, and I think it certainly can. Um, one, you either allow guys to bring families with them to stay with them in the hotel or wherever you're putting them up, okay? Um, and so that way, you know, every you know they can have their families with them, or you know, you're, you're ice if you don't start it in May, <laughs> because May there's still going to be probably some real travel restrictions i think may feels wildly unrealistic yeah if you want to look at it positively i would say ambitious but i i think it's unrealistic yeah no i i think i think if let's say we did this starting july 1 right or 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 as some people are joking now you know we'll we'll, we'll be allowed out of our homes on the 4th of july it'll be a true independence day we'll be <laughs> allowed to be independent again right um so let's just say that that's that's the target instead we're looking at july 1 by that point, will we have some travel restrictions lifted? I mean, currently, I mean, there are there are flights that are still happening. People are still able to go from one place to another. There has to be a reason to go. Um, so I would think that if it's worked out with the federal government, that if if players need to go attend to their family, you know, I mean, like if if Mike Trout's wife or Zach Wheeler's wife is about to give birth and they need to come out and go stay with them for a week or two weeks, and they have to miss a handful of games, that, that is what it is, right? I mean, and that would be allowed. That should be allowed. I mean, you can't restrict them to not being able to see or see their family or be with their family at a time of need. So I think those things would have to be included. And I think if they are, I think if, if there are a little bit of freedoms built in for the players, as far as that's concerned, I think they would be less peaked by the notion of you know being confined to one state for the next three four months so you know matt and i are talking and i say hey you know what do you think what do you foresee happening he says you know i think it's kind of if he had a bet he said he feels like it's more likely than not that we do not see baseball in the 20 I don't know if I said that right but you get the point. We probably aren't going to see baseball in 2020. That he, that's his sense. You know, if he had a if he had a bet on it. Not that he feels that with any certainty, but that's kind of where he's leaning. And I tend to be in agreement with that. But 
you know, you and I talked before we jumped onto the show, and you made some pretty good points. We've seen in recent days, obviously, this remains a serious situation, and in no way, shape, or form are we trying to downplay the impact. You know, you see these numbers, and you almost you almost become numb to them and desensitized, but these are real people that are sick and fighting for their lives, and we've, you know, people that are listening to this probably know people that have lost their lives. Um, I'm in the South Jersey area. We've talked about this before. I'm in the, the business of education and coaching. Um, a really popular basketball ref uh, passed away earlier this week. I mean, this is a, a terrible situation. And so as we proceed with this conversation, please understand it's under the context that, that the safety and health of the greater good is is the priority here, and we certainly understand that this is, remains a, a, a big situation and a, a troubling situation. But, you know, there have been in recent days some glimmers of, of optimism in that we've seen that there's a, a curve, it, it's being flattened, the projections and total amounts of deaths is, is starting to come down uh, significantly in some cases in terms of the projections. I mean, you know, you said it before we got on here. You kind of see this in a little bit more of a positive manner than than maybe Matt and myself do. Yeah, I, I do. Um, and again, I I think that a lot of th- a lot of where we're at right now with with the pandemic. Sometimes you got to be careful what you're hearing or what you're reading or what people are talking about because it could be politically fueled. And I I try to you know, not look at it from a political perspective. I try to, you know, really look at it from a, you know, common sense perspective. I'm trusting the the medical field more than I am the politicians who are talking to me on the television, okay? Um, and so really what this is going to come down to is this is going to come down to testing. And I don't necessarily just mean testing for coronavirus because obviously you know people want to get tested for that but the the more important test that's going to come out is the test for uh antibodies so make sure to see if if you've had it i mean you know there's there have been stories that are coming out to say that you know this may have been here earlier than we thought and you know we had a we were joking about this on crossing broadcast uh last week or the week before where you know i was saying yeah you know i was sick back in the end of january beginning of february for almost 3 weeks and it was the worst i've ever felt and the cough wouldn't go away and i had all kinds of congestion in my lungs and hey, did i have coronavirus maybe like i I'd, I'd like to get the antibody test to see if i have antibodies in my system to know because it, it, they're saying that if you have antibodies 99.9% you cannot get it back. You cannot get it again. So if, if if we start to find that there are people who are now immune to it, we could start to have them get back out into society and doing the things that they need to do. Because guess what? They're, they can't get it. They can't carry it. And they can't give it to someone else. So they're they're perfectly fine to operate, right? So it, what they're doing in China is you got a thing on your phone. You get like this little green CQ code on your phone. And so if you have that, it means that you are immune to it and you can now go out and about. And it would be it's a whole different it's a whole different world, right? I mean, all of a sudden we have to start carrying around our phone and show the police, oh yeah, we're good. Right. right? But but I mean I think that that's that's something that could kind of get us back going a little bit sooner. One thing that gives me a little bit of reason for pause is just the way that this has progressed in recent weeks, we're told one thing, like, hey, you don't need masks. Now you need masks. You see these regulations just kind of evolving on the go. And I, I feel like we're still in this period where we think we know things. And I'm not I'm not talking necessarily about what you just spoke on. But I feel like we're still in this phase where we, we think we have an idea. But I do wonder, do we have a full grasp of the way that this virus works? 
No. And, and that is what concerns me. And I just wonder, and it's going to be really compelling to see moving forward, how does this play out? Is it is is the need to make money and stimulate the economy and regain some sense of normalcy what's going to win out? Or is it going to be this ultra-cautious, let's wait and see, let's not rush back into things type of approach that, that wins out. And and that's where I'm kind of at. Like, I feel myself teetering back and forth. Some days I wake up and I say, you know, I think we're, we're one day closer to being in a situation where it's just like old times. And then I find myself reverting back to often this happens after I watch the news, by the way. Mm-hmm. But I find myself reverting back to Jesus, you know, like, is it ever going to be somewhat normal ever again? You know, and, and, and I don't mean that to sound I, I don't mean to sound. Like, I'm over-exaggerating when I say that, but I really do find myself sometimes optimistic and sometimes saying, like, Jesus, we're screwed. So so here's the thing. So, and if you, again, go in strictly by what the, you know, scientific community is saying and, and the medical community and not going with the news or with politicians, um, there's a belief that coronavirus, uh, COVID-19, will, you know, even if we're flattening it out now and into May and it kind of, you know, starts to die off a little bit as we approach the summer and we start to think, oh, okay, we're getting out of this, it's going to come back. It's going to come back in the fall. Um, but that will have given us, uh, our society, the time that it needs to develop enough testing, to develop a, uh, a curative um medicines to kind of you know make sure that you know if you get it you can be treated and you know not run the risk of dying Um, and we'll be that much closer to a vaccine to basically eradicate it okay which will be probably next year sometime but at the same time we're not going to be told that we need to stay in our homes (laughs) on a stay-at-home order for a year they're already they're already coming out of the stay-at-home order in china where this all started and that's after three months so I can't see the United States having to be in it for a year just as just as we wait for a vaccine, because that, that doesn't make a lot of sense. So I guess looking at this then, you know, how do you see, like if I said to you, look into your crystal ball, and I, I will say this, I read yesterday uh, in Sports Illustrated, there was a, a pretty interesting piece in there about the future of college football, and there is concern from the athletic directors, and I, I mentioned this on the uh, interview with Matt, there's some concern from from ADs of Power 5 schools that are like, we don't know if we're going to be able to play college football this season. So then I look at that and I go, okay, well, these are guys that obviously have a vested interest in playing, a significantly vested interest in playing. Um, I, I look at that and go, okay, well, I don't know if, if in September or October they're going to be playing games as is. What does this mean for a, a more immediate season with baseball? So like that's where, where my lack of optimism kind of comes into play. It's just hard for me right now to see everything opening back up to the point where we can get these guys on the field. But let me ask you this, then. If, if saying what you're saying, how do you foresee baseball unfolding in, in 2020? Like, Do you think we're going to have games at Citizens Bank Park this year in empty stadiums? Or, I'm sorry, with with uh, the seats empty? Or, like, wh- how do you see this unfolding, then? Well, that's a great question, and I, I don't know if I have an answer for you, Bob, but I, I, I would say that I think certain parts of the country are going to reopen before others do. Um, the places that were early hotspots, like New York, like Seattle, um, and now they're saying that you know maybe here in Philly we might be a hot spot and DC might be a hot spot. I think these places are going to recover first. That doesn't mean that it's not going to be bad. It just means that we're going to be getting back to normal before other parts of the country where 
it's it didn't hit in you know early March. It didn't hit until you know this week or next. I mean, there's still there's still five states out there who don't have um, stay at home orders in the central part of the country just because a little bit more wide open, a little bit less population, and there's not and it really hasn't gotten there. Like right. Nebraska and South Dakota and you know Arkansas, those states they don't have a stay at home order right now. So I, I think that there are certain it, it will it will go in a in a in a time way a timely way. So what will baseball look like? Will we see it here? I th- I still think we will. The one good, the one thing about baseball, though, and I well that's a little bit different than the other sports is that it can be it can be played later if it's played in warm weather locales, right? So if we if baseball wanted to, could it sit there and say? You know, we might not start the season until late July or August, but we could by that point we could play in Arizona, Florida, Southern California, you know, and we can go into October, November, even the beginning of December if need be and not have to worry about bad weather. You know, and and I think that so that's it has the luxury of being able to stretch itself out. Um so play, I don't know if to play a a shortened season. I don't know if you have any specific talking points about the Phillies that that you want to hit on, but let me let me get into this because I think that this is really uh, an interesting conversation and something that hasn't been talked about a whole lot. If you play a condensed season, let's say for instance, I'll map out two different scenarios, and you can tell me because I have an opinion about this as well. Scenario A. Scenario A is that the Phillies come back uh, 4th of July and they play in empty stadiums, but the the schedule kind of plays out in normal fashion. It's an 80-game season. You're traveling. You have your home games. What does that do for a team in general, playing half the length of a season uh, and still having a pretty even split in your home and road games? That That's scenario A. And then scenario B is let's say they decide to go with a specific region like Arizona and you're playing games out over a three-, four-month course without travel, with without normal contact, without the normal ebb and flow of a season. I know there's no way of knowing this for sure, but how do you think that that those dynamics will alter the the course of the season like if I would have said to you hey listen opening day is March 26th they're gonna play 162 like they always do and everything is normal here you and I are talking about the Phillies as a third fourth place team and you might be talking about other teams as being clear-cut favorites but so like how does this just complete clusterfuck of a schedule impact what might play out on the field um I I would say it would have to let's look at your first case scenario where you talked about option A um, and it's a, you know, half of a season, right? Um, it makes me think back to 1981, Bob. I know that's a little <laughs> Four bit years your, before I was a born. Bit before but your yes. time. Yeah. Uh, but they played a 107-game season in 1981. Um, and it was weird because – and I'm not saying that this is what they're going to do, but they that was when they had the, the strike and, and it broke up the season – um, but that what ended up happening was is they had two halves, basically two shortened seasons, one season that was 55 games and another season that was 52 games. And they took the winners of the first half of the season and the winners of the second half of the season, and they made them play in what was a best of five division series before you got to the NLCS 
and then obviously the World Series. Now, of course, this was in a time when only two teams from each league made the playoffs, right? right? So what do I see? I don't see that. I don't see them splitting it up into like short seasons. But I do see them saying, you that know was, what? That uh, was the year Montreal uh, beat the Phillies in five, five games. games, right? Yeah, five, yeah. five games, yep. Yeah, Steve Rogers outdueled Steve Carlton mm-hmm. in Game Five, um, but uh, nevertheless, what I think that teaches that teaches us is that a lot of teams were in it because it was so, such a short year. Like there were a lot of teams that were that had a chance that maybe you didn't think had a chance. So a team like the Phillies, who we thought, all right, they might be third or fourth in the division. Um, they maybe have a better chance because they can. They don't have to make it a 162 game. They're like a speed horse, right? You get out early, right? Exactly. And then right. You, you don't need to. You don't need to. You know, run the full distance of the of, around the track. Like you talk about things finding their level over time. You know, the law of averages. You know, it. it, it I just think if you if you condense the season, it's it's certainly more advantageous for a team that maybe isn't as talented. So I look at that, and I am in full agreement with you. If you go from 162 and you drop it down to, let's say, 75, 80 games, it's, to me, less time, you know, less time for things to go wrong, more likely that flukes can happen. And, and not that the Phillies are so inferior that they, they couldn't hold up in a 162 schedule, but I think that the less games you play, the more likely you're inviting parity. Yes. Yeah, and but it also will make the games at the beginning of the uh, the beginning of your season much more paramount. You know, we right. always have that conversation with, oh, it's only April, oh, it's only May, and you don't really start to worry about it until you know after Memorial Day. Um, but now, if you're starting a season on the Fourth of July, you can't say, oh, it's only July. <laughs> right. <yeah. laughs> like they like those games matter like right off the bat, and so those games are going to be really important right away. Um, yeah, so I mean, so that's an interesting thing, and then I I also feel like if you were confined to one location with less travel, uh, I think that that benefits a lot of the um, Western teams. In all honesty, because a lot of times you would get an advantage playing a team from you know out west tra- when they're traveling because they are go on they tend to go on longer trips and they have to hit more cities so that they're not. Um, you know, constantly in the air because they, you know, it's not easy to get from one city to the other. So I think that you might see those Western teams be a little bit better because where are you traveling? If you're stuck in one state and everything's within 50 miles, it's a, you know, it's an hour bus ride or whatever. Um, so I, I think that that's an interesting perspective too. Um, and do you, you know, in a shortened season, do you stay divisions? Do you, do you, do you stay with, you know, your div- I mean, how are you making that schedule so that it, it, it makes it so that it's worth staying in your division? Or do you just sit there and say, we're a 15-team National League, everybody's going to play each other six times, and the top six teams are going to the playoffs, like or seven, right, whatever. Right, right, you know? yeah, that's, yeah. That's, uh, that's obviously a possibility. I, I could see a situation where they, they scrap the – traditional format in its entirety i mean i think that anything especially if you're talking about it being in arizona specifically i i think you almost have to start from scratch and say forget what we knew previously how can we build this thing to make it as efficient and as logical as possible you know and and so i could see a complete realignment in that scenario the the other thing to consider is minor league systems and depth and i would be lying to you right now if i told you what a condensed season and and expanded rosters let's say they move to a 30 uh, a 30 man roster 
certain organizations are going to benefit from that expansion more than others. Mm-hmm. I look at the Phillies. You know, you obviously you talk about Alec Bohm, you talk about Spencer Howard. This this could be a scenario where if they don't start playing until July, you get basically whatever a full season looks like of baseball with Spencer Howard up. Does that make the Phillies better? Y- yeah, and in, in my estimation, should make them significantly better, but. Other teams are going to get jolts from those guys that may maybe wouldn't have started the season up uh, as well. I, I look at the Phillies specifically, and I see a, a fairly deep outfield um, as currently constructed. Not that it's a, a fantastic outfield, but you get Andrew McCutcheon back to full health. You have Adam Hazley. You have Roman Quinn. You have Bryce Harper. You have Odubel Herrera in your system as well. Like To me, the outfield and the depth that the Phillies have in the outfield, that is a plus for them. But I don't know... In the infield, I still think they're very thin. The starting pitching's very thin beyond Howard. He's probably the only reinforcement that's that's really currently in the organization that you would say could, could bolster that rotation. The bullpen still has flaws. I, I don't think that there's minor league guys that can really that, that are on the radar right now where you could say, yes, this guy possesses the, the skill set and he's at the point in his progression as a minor league player that he could step in and really fill out the major league roster in 2020. So like I, I guess to, to make the larger point, it's just if they do expand out the rosters a little bit, I'm, I'm curious to see which teams will sh- strongly benefit from that. Yeah, I and I would think that it's the teams that have the better minor league systems um, as far as close to MLB-ready players, and the Phillies are not that. Other than, Like you said, other than Bohm and Howard, um, they, they've got nothing else that's, that's ready. I mean, really nothing else that's ready. So I think that could be a negative. Um, you know, meanwhile, you look at, you know, organizations like San Diego and, it, you know, even I mean, Atlanta took a little bit of a hit because a lot of their guys graduated, but they still have some good young arms down in the, in the minors that could come up and and really contribute. I mean, you look at teams like the, them and sit there and say, well, OK, if they're now allowed to expand their rosters and, and get some of those young studs coming up and getting their feet wet for the first time. That could be a that could be a, a difference maker as well. So, I think you're right. I think it I think it does benefit the teams that have better um, minor league systems. You know, a, a shortened season will will definitely help. A shortened season with expanded rosters will certainly help teams that that have better minor league systems, which the Phillies do not. So, <laughs> we can't run from the truth here, which is that you remain fairly pessimistic about the Phillies 2020 outlook uh, regardless of what the season looks like and where it's played and well, in yeah, front I, of I who it's played yeah I mean I, I don't know I mean I probably but I, I I would really I would really want to put the caveat the asterisk saying let me see how this is going to be mapped out yeah you know who are they playing is it an even number you're playing everybody in the league the same number or do you have to play all your division just are you playing just your division opponents like that could be a thing too who knows maybe they're you're just going to play the teams in your division um uh, who knows who knows what they're going to do so i I really want to reserve final final judgment until i see how it's going to be mapped out but yeah talent wise i still think that they're third or fourth i'd still put them fourth I, i think that the mets the braves and the nationals are all still ahead of the phillies in the division you know, we've talked about this, and, and I kind of this is where I'll close uh, as far as today goes. Matt and I are talking about the, the Joe Girardi factor, and he says it's real, you know, and, and you heard it earlier in the interview. Uh, he talked about speaking to a couple different players that, that said, you know, listen, there's a, a sense of we know who the boss is here. You talk about the hitting coach, the pitching coach. It's, it's a different – 
a different vibe in the clubhouse, and I was really curious to see how that was going to play out in, in 2020. And again, I just I want to talk about this with you real quick. I'm disappointed because if we don't get baseball this season, like selfishly, it, it just sucks because you don't get sports. And, and we love the game, and we love sports, and we want to see them. And it, it's a, a big absence in our lives right now. But just from a Philly standpoint, I really wanted to see how guys like Scott Kingery, Zach Eflin, Nick Pavetta, guys that sort of had these built-in excuses for them. And I don't, I don't mean this negatively. I don't mean this as a, as a shot at these players in, as individuals. It's... It, but I, I look at this and I say, you know, Gabe Kapler took a ton of crap, and, and a lot of it rightfully so over the last two years. I think that you can kind of step back and look at what happened to the 2018-2019 Phillies, and he does deserve his share of blame. But you look at some of these players faltering, these young guys, like you're not so young anymore. Now you're three, four years in in some cases with, with some pretty important swing players that I think are going to dictate whether the Phillies are a, a middling sub-500 type of team or maybe a little bit better than, than what we had initially thought. And it's, it's a shame because you're not going to get that fact-finding mission if they don't get on the field this year. It's a year of discovery, in my opinion, where you, you really are going to find out, like, what are these guys? Like, could, could Scott Kingery hit 245 this year and still turn out to be a perennial all-star down the line? Yes. But I think at this point, like, it's time to make the jump. And I was really interested to see how having a little bit more defensive stability may have impacted his offensive maturity. And, and to not be able to see those things... It's going to create, really for every team across the league, quite a, a situation because you obviously take what happens on the field and you try to make sense of it to make your decisions moving forward. And now it could be a situation where you don't get to see a lot of these younger guys and continue to build that sample to make your future decisions. Yeah, I mean, that's that's the that's the, 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 the big negative you know, if even if you lose the season, if we lose 2020, like, or even if you get a very shortened version of it, I mean, y- you don't really have time to really self-evaluate. Yeah, like, what like, do you learn about Adam Hazley? What do you learn about yeah. Scott Kingery? What do you learn about? And and I think that that's that's going to be that's going to be tough. Yeah, it it is. It is. It is going to be tough. Um, the one thing I guess you can say, and maybe this is the one positive with the changeover, um, you know, in the coaching staff is that at the very least the three guys that you have here in you know your manager hitting coach pitching coach are three guys who have um significant major league experience and maybe have a good enough eye off of a shorter term um view yeah. of a player that's a great to, point to, to, great to point. make to make that kind of assessment as opposed to a more inexperienced crew yeah like we saw the way that he worked in in february and march and we we saw what type of shape he came in we saw how he acted with the the rest of the clubhouse we don't think that this guy's i could i could definitely see those more experienced coaches and more experienced staffs having a better feel for for a really small sample uh, as opposed to maybe more inexperienced staff like the one that just exited uh at the end of last uh, season, yeah, and I mean that's what I so I th- I think that that could be a benefit for the for the Phillies, um, you know, if in fact they don't end up playing games this year. One of the things you brought it up at the very beginning, right right after the meeting, uh, right after the interview played with uh, with Breen, um, and I thought it was it was something I really wanted to kind of quickly touch on here in the final five minutes of the of the show. Um, you, you asked about uh, you know how this is going to impact the way media covers players are they going to be allowed to be around them 
you know, we'll have to do these press conferences or locker in the locker rooms with what whatnot. And I know that there's, um, you know, Matt talks about how important it is to still be out on the road and still be with the players and still discuss, you know, things with them and really develop those relationships. And I don't disagree with him. I think that he's 100% accurate with that. Um, but I do think that there's going to be, and you know, he did say he doesn't think that there's going to be a major change. I, I, I kind of do. I think that there is going to be a change. Um, I don't know if it's going to last into 2022, 2023, but I think for a good year or so, I, I think that we're going to, what they're going to try and do is they're going to try and make it so that there's more control and team can, teams control availability and he had suggested uh, players he had suggested the zones that you see i guess soccer does this where you're not necessarily in the locker room with them but you get them on the way in or the way out and they kind of you know yeah you you flock to certain players and he did say that he he could envision could envision that type of situation and i'll tell you what i'll tell you what i want i don't hate that because that kind of brings it back to the way it used to be a little bit yeah you're not in the locker room but if a player's standing, if you have like, you know, 10 players standing outside and say, all right, this is the area you go into to talk to them, as, a, as the writer or the reporter, whether or, you know, if you're, even if you're a TV guy, you can go to who you want to go to. And that's the way it used to be. It used to be that you picked who you wanted to talk to. And a lot of times you got into, you know, one-on-one conversations with guys because the rest of the group is talking to somebody else. And that's how you got really good information, really, you know, detailed stuff from players you know and and the like where it's been now it's like a it's like a you know we control everything and we shuttle you like sheep from one thing to (laughs) one stall to the next to the next and that kind of sucks right because you don't really get that opportunity so i think that the the the, making more guys available at the same time and forcing us to choose who we want to talk to i think gives you a, a better you know, gives you better opportunity to to get good reporting, which I think sometimes is lost in the shuffle in all sports um, because of the way that it's managed. Uh, It'll be, uh, I think, very, I I know to the common fan, not the most pressing issue, but I think that that'll be something to really keep an eye on. I'm, I'm curious to see when we get back to sports, how media companies react, you know, how, how do policies change? How does the coverage of the sport change? Um, how do the leagues dictate to the media how how the coverage goes? I think that there's just a lot up in the – I mean, certainly a lot's up in the air right now, but I think it's going to be pretty compelling to see how that, that aspect unfolds um, in a condensed season this year or, you know, in a, in a more normalized season moving forward, whether that be 2021 or 2022. So – Definitely uh, something worth keeping an eye on. Uh, I don't know about you, man, but I think that's about it for me uh, today. Yeah, Yeah. I think it's good. I I think that our plan moving forward will be kind of just uh, taking a wait-and-see approach uh, as we get information. If there's talking points, there's new things to kind of hit on. Certainly you and I will both jump on here and discuss those. Hopefully we have baseball to talk about soon. Hopefully we have, uh, you know, things to talk about in terms of player personnel and just actual baseball news rather than speculating on what might be or what might not be uh, because, you know, obviously this is really tough uh, and 
just it flat out sucks. There's really no other way to say yeah, it. No, it's, it, does. it sucks. It's Every, terrible. It's it's uh, terrible in a lot of different ways right now. So, um, I'm Bob Wankel, Anthony Sanfilippo alongside me here. Uh, this is Crossed Up. Anthony, make sure that I don't miss any of these. We have Crossing Broadcast. They just released an episode of that on Wednesday night. I believe the maestro Kyle Scott jumped in with Russ and Kevin Kincaid. I was stunned. I, was stunned I, I know. We, you know. I, I we saw were both the supposed feed. to be on. Yeah, yeah. We were both supposed to be on. We couldn't be on. Um, other stuff, other things took us away from being on there. And I was like, oh, well, that's all right. Kevin and Russ will be all right by themselves. And then I just kind of at the very end, like around 9.15, I popped on Facebook. I was like, yeah, let me just see if they're still going. And I saw Kyle, and I was yeah. like, whoa. So you saw a ghost. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, so uh, Crossing Broadcast, make sure you check that out. Kyle has some uh, pretty strong thoughts about the uh, coronavirus and, and media, and so uh, you can definitely check that out. You have It's Always Soccer in Philadelphia with Kevin Kincaid. Uh, obviously, Snow the Goal, you guys were crushing it. and still are crushing it, but you guys were building a ton of momentum with that podcast. Uh, right before everything kind of hit the fan. I know you guys are still going strong, though, uh, which is good stuff. Uh, what else do we have? Crossing Broad FC, is that still a thing? I don't know. Is I it? don't know. If it is, definitely listen to that as well. <laughs> <laughs> All right, so thanks for tuning in. Hopefully we talk to you guys soon, and uh, be careful out there.